Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for April 7th, 2019. During this season of Lent, Rustine will speak on misunderstanding, identifying the problem, and Amy Jackstein will speak on understanding, seeking an answer. Their topics today are Misunderstood Abundance by Russ and Lend Joy to All Our Giving by Amy. Now, Park Road has either cultured or corrupted Amy and me. We've learned to enjoy a glass of wine um, at a wedding reception, but um, we had not been cultured or corrupted at this time, so we just watched everybody enjoy themselves at this wedding reception. Um, It was a great (coughs) party. I mean, it really was. And we've been to a number of others since then. You know, when Amy and I got married, our reception, we had chicken fingers and, you know, cake squares, and that was it. You know, this was a party, y'all. I mean, this was a party. And it was great fun. And everybody had a great time. Now, nobody got in a fight, and nobody was dancing on the tables, and nobody broke anything. But everybody had a lot of fun at this wedding reception. Later... The father of the bride, several years later, the father of the bride told me how much he had spent on the alcohol tab that night, and I couldn't believe it. I was like, you could have given that money to the church budget. You wasted all that money on like three hours? You know, I got got back away from that just a little bit and all my little, you know, preacherly judgment about that, you know, about how you could have given all that money to feed the poor and all the good stuff you could have done with that money. And I, I had another thought. And I thought, you know, there's probably no better expenditure of money than to waste a lot of it on your daughter's wedding. I've had that thought a number of times since as we've been to wedding receptions and I've thought, my gosh, how much did they spend here? And then I thought, you know, this is your daughter's wedding. You might as well spend and enjoy and have a great time. What a great learning lesson for me. I've thought about that lesson at almost every wedding we've been to since that wedding almost 19 years ago. And I think about it every time I read this text that we're going to read today about the woman who wasted all that money. You could have given that to feed the poor. This is an interesting story. It's in all four of the Gospels. And any story that is in all four of the Gospels you know is important. Um, A lot of stories don't make it to all four of the Gospels. This one does. Now, there's some variations. And invariably, we take those variations and we kind of throw them all together and it's just one story. But you need to read carefully. If you want to understand the story in each gospel, you need to read the story in the context of that gospel. Um, but some interesting variations that we see, um, some, in, in several of the gospels, the woman is named Mary. 
In several of the Gospels, the woman is an unnamed woman, but she's almost always referred to as Mary. So that's not true. It, it may or may not have been Mary. Um, there are five Marys in the Bible, and people have a hard time keeping them separated. Um, often the Mary of this story is understood as Mary Magdalene. And often it is said that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute and Jesus forgave her. And out of that forgiveness, that sense of complete forgiveness, she lavished praise on Jesus in this anointing. Well, we don't know that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. And Mary Magdalene is never named in this story in any of the Gospels. She is an unnamed woman in several of the stories. She is Mary of Bethany in the, in the text for today. Mary and Martha and Lazarus, those siblings who were apparently good friends of Jesus. In the Gospels, we read that Jesus goes to Bethany a number of times. These must have been his friends. And so in today's story, it is Mary of Bethany, the sister of Martha, the sister of Lazarus, who comes to Jesus and anoints him by pouring this perfume on his feet. In two of the Gospels, the woman pours the perfume on Jesus' feet and wipes them with her hair. In two of the stories, Mary, uh, the, the woman, whether Mary or not, anoints Jesus' head. Um, so there's a lot that we can learn and look to at, at, as we look at each individual story. Let me read to you the text for today, which is the story of the anointing of Jesus from John's Gospel, chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany. So we're coming to the time of Jesus' death, which is not incidental as we understand this story, as John tells it. All of the Gospels don't set the, don't set the story just prior to Jesus' death, which is also something to, to learn, to listen to. Uh, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. They, uh, there they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, you know, Martha was always in the kitchen serving. They had had that incident once, once before, Mary and Martha, and, Mary, and Martha was critical of Mary because Martha was serving and Mary was just sitting there listening to Jesus. And Martha said, you ought to be helping me serve. That's one of the stories that we read of Mary and Martha in the Bible. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, John's gospel has this, um, this theological understanding of the end. The end is always in sight in John's gospel. And, and so John, John knows that, Jesus, that Judas is about to betray him. And Judas says, was this why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? A denarius was the common worker's wage. Normally, one day's wage received one denarius. So if it was worth 300 denarii, almost a year's worth of income she spent on this perfume. And so Judas says she could have sold that. It's a lot of money. She could have sold that and given it to the poor. Why did she waste it here? John, uh, uh, the gospel writer says, um, Judas said this not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and he used to steal what was put into it. So there's a little commentary about Judas from the gospel writer. And Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, 
but you do not always have me. For three of the Gospels, the story, the emphasis of the story is, uh, is about the death of Jesus, the impending death of Jesus, and there's a theological affirmation there about who Jesus is and about, um, uh, about the importance of his death. And in three of the Gospels, the central criticism of the woman is over money. Now, in Luke's Gospel, the woman is criticized for being inappropriate. And the Pharisee says to Jesus, you should know that it's inappropriate for a woman to touch a man like this. That's Luke's gospel. The other three gospels see the criticism and the offense is her use of money. Don't you just love it when the preacher starts talking about money? Two Sundays ago, Amy and I flew to New York City. Our son, Bennett, was playing with the wind ensemble at Furman University at Carnegie Hall, and we didn't want to miss. So Sunday afternoon, we ran out of here, caught a flight to LaGuardia. Um, because we buy the cheap seats, Amy and I were in, uh, in, in group nine. We were the last ones to get on the plane, and of course, we went back to the next to the last seat in the plane. And of course, Amy was on one side, and I was on the other, because when you buy cheap seats, you don't sit together. Uh, so I excused myself over the two people sitting uh, in, in the aisle in the center and sat by the window there. A man and his woman were talking, and I quickly recognized the New York accent. Um, I don't have an accent, but they did. And uh, I, I said hello to, the, to them as I walked in. Um, and as, we, as the flight took off, the gentleman and I started talking. And we spent 90 minutes talking together. And we talked about our children and what they do and where they are and what's going on. We talked about New York City and how to get around. And he gave me some, uh, some great advice about how to get from LaGuardia to my cousin's place in Brooklyn. Um, and then he said, and he asked this question that all ministers hate, especially when you're locked on an airplane at 35,000 feet with someone. He says, so what do you do for a living? <laughs> It's the worst question ever. It's the best way I know to end the conversation. Oh, I'm a Baptist minister. <laughs> I've seen people swallow their mini bottles whole, you know, when you say. <laughs> but Neil didn't stop talking. Oh, tell me about your church and tell me about your work and what you do. And we had fascinating conversations about my work and his work. He's an attorney who's now a judge in family court system and some of the commonalities that we share in our work together. And then he brought up the name Donald Trump. I could fly a thousand times and I would never mention the name Donald Trump on an airplane. But we talked. We landed at LaGuardia and we exchanged phone numbers. Uh, Neil is now on the church mailing list. He gets our church newsletter. He's a subscriber to our blog post. Um, I enjoyed that 90-minute conversation. And I said to him as we were leaving, I said, Neil, I think we've broken every single taboo of airline etiquette. First of all, we spoke to each other as we sat down. And then we actually talked to each other as we flew. And we talked about religion and politics. We didn't talk about money. I was saving that for you today. <laughs> this is a really fascinating, fascinating story. Um, and there are a lot of things that we could say about it as our men discussed this story on Wednesday at our Lenten 
study. We're reading a book by Amy Jill Levine, who is the Jewish professor of New Testament studies at Vanderbilt Divinity School. And she says you have to be very careful to read the story in the theological context of the particular writer. Um, we won't get into all of that today, um, but the emphasis for John's gospel has to do with the death of Jesus, the, the foreshadowing of the death of Jesus, and Mary's anointing of him for that death, and also this question of money, difficult questions about money. How do you spend your money? Anybody ever accused you of wasting your money? Anybody ever accused you of spending too much for Christmas? Anybody ever chastised you for your credit card bill being too much? How do you spend your money? How much is too much? And for what is it too much? What would you do if someone walked up to you today and offered you a gift that you knew had cost them almost a year's salary? How much is too much? And what is lavish? And what is wasteful? And what is generous? And how do you draw the lines between those? In our men's Lenten study on Wednesday, one observation I made is that our giving these days is oh so American. And what I mean by that is that we have a lot of generous givers in this country but we have conspicuously tied our charitable giving to a return on investment. We're not going to give to something that doesn't do something that we judge right by that money. We want to make sure we're getting a return on our investment. We don't give to the church unless we think the church is doing right by our money. We don't give to the church if we're mad at the preacher. We want to get a return on our money. We're critical about the way we use our money and how we give our money. And you know, we give because we get a charitable deduction on our taxes because of our giving. Our giving is oh so American. We want to scrutinize everybody or every organization to whom we give. We want to make sure that it's a legitimate gift. In the Old Testament... This is hardly how we're taught to give. The teaching of the tithe in the Old Testament says, gather the first fruits of your crop or gather the best of your, uh, your lambs or, or your animals of your field, the first fruits, and bring it to the temple and we're going to sacrifice it and burn it up on the altar. I said to the men on Wednesday... What would you do if this morning we took the offering plates and after church we went out to the parking lot and we built a big bonfire and we burned up all your money in the back parking lot? You'd make sure you gave with a check the next time, wouldn't you? <laughs> Nobody would ever give another dime to Park Road Baptist Church. But that's how we're taught to give in the Old Testament. You give and it's given to God. Interesting. What can we learn from that? There's so much to say, but at the center of this story, I believe there is a lesson about abundance. What do we do with what we have, and whose is it to begin with? My money. I made it. I earned it. It's my money. Not according to the Bible. 
The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Everything is God's. You are given your abundance to be stewards of it. If we could just get that through our heads, that it's not my money. I don't need to take pride that I've earned this. It's my money. It's God's money. That would change the way we thought about our money, I think, altogether. It's not my money. I've just been given this as a steward of it. What will I do with it? So do we give stingily? Do we give with strings attached? Do we give judgmentally? Do we recognize with some humility how we became abundant to begin with? And what is the purpose of that abundance? There's probably no one in this room this morning whose life is not filled with abundance. Of course, we can talk about abundance in a lot of different ways, but the text invites us to think specifically about the abundance of our money. So here's the question. Where did it come from? And what do we do with our abundance? Have we misunderstood abundance? I love this scene. It's one of my favorites in the whole Bible. I'm pretty sure it's because this is so incredibly un-Jesus. There are only a few other scenes recorded where we read them and we go, wait, what? That doesn't fit Jesus. And this seems to me to be one of them. There's that time when Jesus totally loses his cool in the temple about the money changers and he disrupts the whole place by turning over tables and everything. It's not a typical Jesus move, but I really like it. Or that time that the Syrophoenician woman asked for help from Jesus, but he says, nah, I'm just here for the Jews. And she has to remind him that even dogs get the scraps from underneath the table. And doesn't she at least deserve that? It's not one of Jesus' finer moments, but she does help him to see in a whole new light. And he, in that moment, changes the focus of his ministry after that one encounter to be all-inclusive, which is 100% a Jesus move. I wish I could emulate it more and better. But still, he had to be reminded about what was just, which seems like not a Jesus move to have to be reminded in the first place. And then there's this scene where he praises Mary for her lavish generosity. The perfume was worth, in modern-day calculations, someone said about $45,000 kind of money today. Even with the classic retort that we all ask sometimes, what could be done with the money that we spend foolishly? We're especially good at asking that question about other people behind the backs of the ones we're questioning their financial decisions. We do it all the time. You can't afford a house, but you can have a cell phone. You can't afford groceries, but you can buy cigarettes. You've accumulated so much debt, and yet you still eat out all the time. 
We are so good at judging these things. And we ask good questions, even of ourselves, like, how many habitat houses could we build if we used monies raised on, our, on others instead of using it on ourselves? They're obvious questions. Judas even asked the question of Jesus, why in the world wasn't this perfume sold and given to the poor? And in what seems to me like a classic un-Jesus move, he says, leave her alone. She is being lavishly generous with me. Wait, what? Isn't it always about others? Aren't we to deny ourselves, take up our crosses, you know, those heavy self-sacrificing crosses and carry the burdens of others on our own backs? What happened to the sheep and the goats? When we hear all about, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I needed clothes and you clothed me. How many hungry and thirsty and homeless people could have been cared for with the extravagant waste of perfume? What about sell all you have and give it to the poor? This whole perfume moment is just not a Jesus move in my mind. So much unexpected is going on in this one scene, though. First of all, Lazarus is there. He was just dead. And when somebody is dead and comes back to life, I'd say for a long, long time, every time you gather together, there's going to be a celebration. The second unexpected moment, generally men anoint men. One commentary that I read reminded me that you see it all the time in the Bible, like when Samuel anoints Saul to be the first king of Israel, and then in modern-day, more contemporary measure, male popes anoint male emperors throughout Western history, and so on it goes. But here, Mary lets her hair down with all the cultural connotations of that expression, and she anoints Jesus. Nobody saw that coming. To say that it was unexpected is not saying enough. Had we been there, we would have likely heard gasps in the room. And we would have seen the skeptical sideways glances being shot from person to person. This was a sensual move. And one most in the room would have labeled as totally inappropriate. They would have talked about her behind her back. And then there's this third unexpected moment when Jesus for once doesn't side with the poor, but rather receives this moment of lavish generosity given out of her abundance. He knew how to receive lavish generosity. What do you do with your abundance? In seeking an answer to misunderstood abundance, I give you lavish generosity. 
Some will criticize this as wasteful. But this text says that sometimes and some occasions call for lavish generosity. The hardest part is knowing when. I wish I had Jesus' sense of timing. I wish I had Jesus' sense of balance to know when am I supposed to sell everything and give it to the poor and when am I supposed to waste $45,000? But in seeking an answer to misunderstood abundance, I give you lavish generosity with your money and with your time and with your laughter and with your tears and with your patience. I give you lavish generosity with your stuff. I give you lavish generosity with all of what you have and all of who you are. Use whatever abundance you enjoy and give it away with wild abandon. No one will be expecting it. No one will see it coming. When you do it, if you're listening closest, you will hear little gasps all around. Because people won't believe it. And if you're paying attention, you'll see the sideways glances of people saying with their eyes, what in the world is she doing? They will talk about you behind your back. About how lavishly generous you are. And because Jesus said that we would always have the poor with us, I personally think he would be okay to include them in the receiving of your lavish generosity as well. My answer is to lend joy to all our giving. I stole that line from the the last verse of the first hymn that we sang today. Lend joy to all to all our giving and be lavishly generous with whatever abundance you enjoy. May it be so. Amen. We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Today's podcast was produced with production help from Hugh Ashcraft, Brian Smith, Bruce White, and Rich Dower. Our theme music was composed by Brandon Michael Williams. Thanks for listening today. Grace and peace to you.